Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. Good morning. How are you? Good to see you. Um, so uh, it's really, it's really uh, good to see you this morning. We're, we're getting back into our CCM cultures. Um, Sarah, we took a break last week um, to um, Luke served us preaching on prayer as we kind of went into prayer week. Um, so we did the 24 hours of prayer uh, yesterday and um, today we're going to be back on to the, the CCM cultures. We're looking at really how uh, we've built the church and how we want to maintain the cultures of church. And today we have the exciting... Um, topic of the culture think the best. Now it sounds great in three words but when you really start to unpick it as I hopefully will unpack um, it's a really big culture to to grapple with so I hope that we'll be able to to do this this morning. Think the best is um, I guess put simply the way that we support encourage and build each other up to think the best of each other, to be positive towards each other, to act positively, to talk positively well with each other when we're together and when we're not. Because when we think the best of people, we bring change. Because the opposite is also true. When we don't think the best of someone, if we think the worst of them, we won't be bothered to help them, we won't allow spiritual life to flourish. So taking culture of church really seriously, it's a big thing to unpack how we treat each other, how we do things to each other. We, we want CCM, Christchurch Manchester, to be a positive atmosphere. We want it to be a place where people are pursuing Christ and enjoying being discipled together both in truth and love, providing opportunities for people to get involved, to try new things and to thrive in their spiritual pursuit. Because the way we think about each other, the way we think of each other, really does have an impact on the advancement of the kingdom of God. This isn't just, uh, I guess, brainwashing each other to think positively. Um, this is actually rooted in deep biblical truth. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23 says this, keep your hearts with all vigilance, for out of it flows the springs of life. Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows out of it. What goes on in my heart makes its way out in my life, whether I like it or not. So thinking the best starts with my heart, starts with our hearts. When we talk about thinking the best, we aren't, I guess, being woolly or being nice to each other. We're actually talking about hearts being changed. What goes on in your heart will eventually find its way out, according to Proverbs chapter 4. So if if in our hearts we're thinking the worst in people, being suspicious of them, questioning their motives, and that will come out in how we act and how we talk about people. If, on the other hand, we think the best of people, we will be trusting them, we will be believing in them, we will be hoping for God's God's power to be demonstrated in their lives, we will provide opportunity for faith to grow and spiritual life to flourish. So today we're going to look at a conversation between Jesus and um, a man uh, where Jesus in this conversation reveals everything about the heart of this person that is talking to Jesus. It doesn't go quite so well for this man. 
because Jesus reveals the brokenness of his heart, the cynical nature of his heart, the fact that he is thinking the worst of others. So Jesus challenges his state of heart and how he basically should radically treat and think and, and love other people. So as we go through Think the Best, I want us to, uh, my belief is to think the best, you, there, there are kind of three things that I kind of want to, want to walk through. Firstly, it starts with our heart. I think Proverbs chapter 4 has probably done a really good job of that. Um, then it extends hope towards others and it restores honour in our relationships. So it starts with our heart, it extends hope towards others and it, re- and it restores honour in our relationships. So we're going to read Luke chapter 10. Verses 25 to 37. As we read it, you may well recognize the story that Jesus is about to tell. Luke chapter 10 says this. One day an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Correct, Jesus said, now do this and you will live. But the man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied with this story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, They beat him up and they left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along, but when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. Then a temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other other side. Then a despised Samaritan came along. And when he saw this man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them up. He put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day, he handed to the innkeeper two denarii or two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man. If his bill runs any higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Now, Jesus said, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? The man replied, the one who has shown him Mercy. Then Jesus said, you go and do the same. Thinking the best starts with our hearts. The religious lawyer is asking a really important question. He is inquiring about eternal life. This uh, lawyer isn't a lawyer as we would know it in terms of he goes to a court of law and, and judges people. This religious lawyer is a learned student. He's a scribe of the, the, the Jewish religion. He's an expert on religion, on ethics, on morality. Um, and he knows the Old Testament really clearly as he's just quoted two different passages from Deuteronomy and Leviticus around how we should love the Lord our God and our neighbour as ourselves. He's asked a really good question, similar to what Nicodemus asked Jesus, how do I get born again? And asked by the rich young ruler, um, how do I get into the kingdom of God? It's the right question. It's even asked to the right person. But this man, unlike Nicodemus, has got the wrong motive. And to think the best, first and foremost, it directly speaks to our motives, our, our condition of our heart. 
This lawyer has no intention of learning from Jesus. He doesn't really care what Jesus' answer is because he thinks he already has the answer. You can look at verse 25 and 29. This is how just self-righteous and proud he is. The expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus. He wanted to test Jesus, to trap him, to shame him in front of everybody. And then when this conversation kind of goes back and forth, the man then wants to try to justify his actions in front of everyone. He's only really interested in promoting himself and shaming Jesus. He's a bit of a cynic. He has an elevated view of himself. Um, He is trying to make someone else look bad and himself look good. He has pride. He has cynicism. He is thinking the worst of Jesus. So when we talk about thinking the best, we are talking about an antidote to pride and cynicism. It enables us to have hope for other people and to believe in God's changing power in their lives. So Jesus then talks through this parable of what we call the Good Samaritan. And he does that to expose the lawyer's heart. This isn't a a parable contrary to popular belief about um, promoting social justice or alleviating poverty. Whilst those things are good things, Jesus tells this parable to highlight the motives of this religious lawyer. Over the past couple of months, I've been working with uh, two people um, who are supposed to be working together on a project. And um, it's been really difficult to, to do that because, as has become very evident, they don't quite like the look of each other, um, let alone working together. They, they think the worst of each other. And when you talk to them as an individual, they don't have anything nice to say about the other person. And we've had to really unpick where that's come from and the fact that most of the things that they think about the other person are all in their head and not actually true, and their motives are completely uh, misaligned. But it speaks to the brokenness of the human heart. We are so quick to judge. We are so quick to see people's motives. We are so quick to be cynical about how people are doing things because they might be different to the way that we do it. So after this exchange of questions between the religious lawyer and Jesus, the lawyer then wants to attempt to justify himself. And he says, and who is my neighbor? The whole passage now spins around this single question, who is my neighbor? The the lawyer is basically trying to get Jesus on a technicality. He doesn't really care about whether he loves the Lord, his God, with all his heart, soul, strength, and mind. He doesn't really care about loving neighbors. He wants to know who is the neighbor. He is completely oblivious to his heart condition. Jeremiah chapter 17 says this about the heart. It is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. It's a nice positive verse to share on a Sunday morning, isn't it? The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can understand it? If we're going to think the best, we need to understand our hearts. And it's definitely worth hitting pause and seeing ourselves in this story. I can't read this exchange between Jesus and this man without having a bit of a look in the mirror. Because one of my greatest spiritual challenges is my pride. 
my own heart's ability to just elevate itself slowly and slowly until I have all the confidence in myself and my own ability and how my heart is utterly broken on its own without Christ. And without knowing it, before it gets too long, I'm getting frustrated with people. I'm noticing the differences they have between me and I am judging them and looking down on them. Because my heart is proud. It's naturally cynical. If, you're, if you've lived in Britain any, any time, like, we like a healthy dose of cynicism. Right? We love judging people's motives before getting to know them. And without understanding my true identity in Christ... I think I can do everything on my own, and I think everybody else can't. But the beauty of being in Christ is that my heart has been transformed. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. Now we are in Christ, we have been reconciled to God through Christ. Our hearts have been changed. We have been, we have been made a new creation. The same passage, Paul carries on a few verses later in verses 20 and 21, and he says this, Look, I implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God, because God made him who had no sin to be sin for you, so that you could become the righteousness of God. I don't need a proud heart. I don't need to elevate myself. I don't need to be cynical because God has paid the price with Christ and he has given me his own righteousness. I don't need my own righteousness because I have become righteous in Christ. We're clothed with his righteousness. So when we look through this culture and we pray for hearts changed, we don't just have to think, oh, I must try a little bit harder. We must appreciate that our hearts have been radically transformed by the saving grace of God. We are new creatures. We are empowered and in, indwelt with the Holy Spirit. We have become the righteousness of God. It starts with <coughs> our hearts. So after this con confrontational exchange of questions, Jesus now tells this dramatic story about a certain man who made a journey from Jerusalem all the way down to Jericho. And I think the story, as Jesus um, explains it, really is talking about how hope has been, is going to be extended towards others. How, how thinking the best, he's kind of unpicked and unpacked the motives of this religious lawyer that he is thinking the worst of people. Now Jesus is going to tell this story of when you think the best, you extend hope towards others. Pride and cynicism, which we've seen in this religious lawyer, is very different from the hope that we will now read in this story. The difference, I guess, is cynicism points out all the wrong and the bad, and then does nothing to help. Hope sees all of that wrong, and then believes in God's power to transform. Hope that right will, we will right the wrong, that the broken will be mended, that the sick will be healed, that the faith will be strengthened. And so Jesus goes full on at this cynicism. Romans chapter 5, um, Paul is writing in a different part of the Bible, and he talks about hope in this way. He says, we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance produces character, spiritual character, and that spiritual character produces hope. And this is what hope does. It does not put us 
to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts. That heart problem, the Holy Spirit is in our hearts. The lawyer wanted to shame Jesus. Hope does not put to shame. Because we are to think the best, we are to hope in God's power. So Jesus tells this story. Now, now the, the journey between uh, Jerusalem and Jericho um, is not exactly a stroll in the park. So when we talk about this journey, um, he's, not, um, he's not walking up Princess Parkway. Um, he, is, he is making a bit of a rough journey. Um, this part of the, the journey between Jerusalem and Jericho was called the Bloody Path. Now, now that in itself, I guess, gives an indication of, of the type of, of road. Um, Jerusalem is 3,000 feet above sea level, and Jericho is 1,000 feet below sea level. So in the 17-mile journey, you have to descend 4,000 feet. There are clearly steep declines. You can see on the picture, windy roads, really steep cliff edges, um, a ton of rocks. It's the perfect location for bandits, robbers, and thugs. And so this lawyer, this religious person, uh, will be well aware of what Jesus is talking about when he tells this story. And this is how Jesus starts. A certain man fell among robbers who stripped him, beat him, and left him half dead. And first a priest comes who sees this man stripped, beaten, and half dead, and walks on the other side. There's no hope demonstrated. There is no extent of help. He saw him and passed on the other side. He, he shuns him. He has zero love for God and zero love for the neighbor. Then the temple assistant, the Levite, comes along and does exactly the same. And you can imagine being inside this lawyer's head. He's thinking, who is going to come to this man's rescue? It's got to be a scribe. It's got to be a religious teacher. It's got to be someone like me. And Jesus is building this story into a bit of a crescendo. And this is how Jesus lands it. Then a despised Samaritan came, saw him and had compassion. You can imagine the shock inside this lawyer's head. He, maybe it was really evident on his face. But immediately after showing the religious, self-righteous, pride, cynical view, doesn't extend hope. Jesus then introduces the hero of the story, the most hated person this man could imagine, a Samaritan. The, the very existence of the Samaritans were, were evil to this religious lawyer. To this religious lawyer, Samaritans represented everything that was defiled in the Jewish religion. They were a mixed, mixed race between Jew and Gentile. They were utterly hated. They weren't allowed into the temple. They weren't allowed to sacrifice. They weren't allowed to worship God. The, the, the hatred is sectarian. It's deep-rooted in religious um, views. It's racial. And I think about 100 years before, um, before Christ, the Samaritans actually came into Jerusalem and attacked and destroyed the, the temple. If you wanted to say anything bad about somebody, you called them a Samaritan. In John chapter 8, the religious leaders called Jesus a demon-possessed Samaritan. A slight against his divinity and a slight against his humanity. A demon-possessed Samaritan. And whilst the lawyer, the priest and the Levite are all full of arrogance and self-righteousness, they shun and they think the worst of people. It's the Samaritan that looks across the difference and the hatred that is between him and the Jew. 
I've loved being part of prayer week this week. I've loved the fact that we've had uh, like updates every day that we can pray for our church, our city and the world. And knowing that when you're doing that, there are other people in church at different parts of the country doing exactly the same. I was like, I don't know, that stirred something really um, refreshing in me as, as we partook in um, in the prayer week. But one thing that really touched me uh, yesterday as we were in Kingsman Hall for the 24 hours of prayer was um, as you were in the prayer, prayer room, which was like re- laid out like amazingly, the amount of prayers that were talking, that people had written on post-it notes or, or pieces of paper that were reaching out to people that were different to us. Like it really touched me. Now I know I should have been praying and I was praying in that room, but I took the liberty to read a few other people's prayers that they posted on the wall. Um, I hope they'll forgive me. Um, But it's just really, really uplifting when you see people praying to cross the divide that we have in society. Praying for churches inside the M60 and outside the M60. Praying for healing of division between different people groups in this city. Praying to reach out to different cultures, to different languages, Praying to repair the damage of our political divide. That is to think the best. That is to hope towards others. That is to extend hope across the divide. Because when there is division, there needs to be hope. And thinking the best does that. So here enters the Samaritan, who reaches across the racial divide, the cultural divide, the sectarian divide, the social divide, the class divide. He has hope. And if you look around us, we are a world that is in division. We divide ourselves into groups. And in doing that, we create more divisions than there is unity. And we need to pray against that. We need to have hope. We need to think the best. We segregate whether you're a migrant or a native, whether you think you're European or British, whether you're a single or a couple, the colour of your skin, the amount of money, your sexual orientation, whether you are taxed or whether you are the benefit of tax. We just divide ourselves socially, racially and economically and it's an absolute disaster because Jesus is about healing division. He's about restoring hearts and he's about uniting people in him and that's what thinking the best enables us to do. So this Samaritan looks past the social division, their religious views, their racial hatred of each other, the fact that he was stripped naked and poor and he had the money and the donkey to help. He looked past all of that and he shows extravagance in his care because he thinks the best. He reaches out hope across the division and this is what we want to build at Christchurch Manchester, thinking the best of each other, healing division. So hope rises Now, this is exactly the same model that Jesus demonstrates for his whole life. He looked beyond the flaws and the failures of individuals who were created in God's image and he just enjoyed spending time with them. He did understand their failings and faults, but he had faith that they would become something more. That's what I want to become. That's what I would love us all to be. Take a moment of the, to look at the 12 disciples. I found a really cool picture. Um, I really picked it more, keep, you have to keep going. Um, I picked it more maybe for the artistic uh, boldness of the colour. I don't actually think the 12 disciples either lined up for a photo shoot or wore those kind of clothes. But um, you can imagine um, if you think about those 12 disciples, right? They were a, they were a, 
a rowdy bunch of different people. There were some of them social outcasts, some of them looked down as a bit of tax collectors and fraudsters. Um, they were maybe a bit rough. But Jesus mixed with them. He had them in his crew. He saw something in them. He thought the best of them and he discipled them. You just think of the other people that Jesus mixed with, spent time in their houses, ate meals with. Zacchaeus was a Jew who was defrauding his own countrymen on behalf of the Roman Empire. The Samaritan lady was a racial and social outcast of, of, of society and Jesus journeyed out of his way to meet her. The centurion soldier who needed help was an oppressor of the Jews and Jesus healed that division. Jesus didn't focus on what divided. He honoured people, he gave them time and he provided hope. Hope that they could be something in him. Hope that they would grow spiritually. That's what this world needs and it needs to start here. It's what the church needs. We do have many differences, but we also have something that really unites us. We are all made in the image of God. We are all broken but redeemed by Jesus. We are new creation. We are all part of the body of Christ. We are all loved by him. We were all redeemed at the same price by him. And I think when we start to see what unites us, hope starts to rise. Faith starts to build. Colin quotes um, um, a guy called Andrew Carnegie in his book, Multiplanting. Um, I think I've heard um, Andy refer to this quote more than any other, maybe or not other, than, than any verse in the Bible, if I can say that. Um, Andy, loves, Andy loves this quote, right? Um, Andrew Carnegie uh, was a 19th century um, Scottish-American um, he was an industrialist. He led the steel industry in the 19th century. Um, I think if you um, buy amount of money, that a wealth, he, he is still one of the richest Americans ever in history. This is what um, Andrew Carnegie says. People are developed the same way gold is mined. Several tons of dirt must be moved to get one ounce of gold. But you don't go into the mine looking for Dirt, you go looking for gold. That's exactly the way people are to, you develop positive people or think the best people. Look for the gold, not the dirt. The good, not the bad. The more positive qualities you look for, the more you are going to find. Focus on the gold. Focus on what unites. Focus on the good, not the dirt. Yes, we absolutely constructively disciple, educate and correct where there is dirt, but we absolutely go for the gold. We go for the good, we go for what unites us because that is how spiritual growth flourishes. We just need to look at Jesus' 12 disciples, those apostles who betrayed him, denied him, doubted him and abandoned him, went on to become church planters. They lived radical lives, they gave their lives for Jesus, they led churches, they saw thousands come to faith, they expanded the world's largest movement ever. Jesus must have seen some potential. He must have thought the best. So let's go looking for the gold. Let's, let's have hope. Let hope arise. Let's not pretend and ignore the issues. That's not what we're saying. But we are going to have faith that the power of God can transform and unite us and grow us. So it starts with the heart. It extends hope in hopeless situations and it restores honour in our relationships. Now, remember Proverbs chapter 4, verse 3? 
What goes on in the heart comes out and reveals itself. Now, this is demonstrated by the good Samaritan. The Samaritan reaches out, has compassion, and provides hope for this beat-up man, and he restores honour to him. There is so much extravagance in what the Samaritan does to restore honour and dignity to this Jew. Look what he does. He has compassion on him. He bandages his wounds. He soothes him. He pours in lavishly oil and wine. He puts him on a donkey. He takes him to an inn. He stays overnight with him. On the next day, he pays two denarii um, for him to stay. And then he tells the innkeeper, spend whatever you want, and when I come back, I'll pay him. He's literally opening it up to like, the most extortion ever, uh, which is unreal. He pays two denarii, or two silver coins. Around the same time that Jesus was alive, a few years after, there was an inn that was charging one-thirtieth of a denarii per night to stay in. One-thirtieth. So if you took a denarii and split it into 30 little bits, one of them would pay for one night at an inn, just outside Jericho. This man paid two denarii. So one denarii would get you 30 nights at an inn, two denarii would you get you 60 nights at an inn. This is extravagant compassion and love. He really cares, he is restoring dignity, and he is honouring this man. That's what Think the Best does. It looks and it is ready for opportunities to restore honour to others. That's easier said than done. I've probably been struggling with Think the Best without really knowing that we called it Think the Best for like years, like years. Particularly when it really strikes you close to home, for someone that is really close to you, that you find difficult at a time to think the best of, to extend hope to, and to honour in that relationship. Because that relationship is broken, it's damaged. There sometimes is positive steps forward, then there are 10 steps back. It's really hard to think the best until you take a step back and you see who you are in Christ and you explore your heart and you see you're a new creation and you get to see what God does to, divide, to unite our divide. It builds honour in and hope in what God can do. This isn't an easy thing to do, but it radically changes you and somebody else. This is what Paul says about the church in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Those parts of the body that, body that seem weaker are indispensable. Those parts that we think are less honourable, we should treat with special honour. He says, be honourable to each other, especially to those who are weaker. So think the best. Think the best who are to, of those who are close to you. The people that are probably most likely to really annoy you. The people that you disagree with really quickly. The ones that you very can evaluate that you're better than. Maybe it's a close friend, a family member. Maybe it's someone in this room. It could be your partner. It could be anyone that really just drives you up the wall. Think the best. Radically change. Allow God to change your heart. Speak well of others in front of them and when they're not there. Hope for them that God will, will grow spiritual growth in them. Have faith for the gold. And think the best of those that take everything that you hold and distort it. 
Restore honour to those who refuse to help anybody else. Those who disagree with your politics, the moaner at work, the selfie-loving, fill-your-social-media-feed person that just drives you nuts. Think the best. The person that isn't easy to talk to. Think the best. The one who stands you up for the third time when you're supposed to go out for a beer or a coffee. Think the best. Your friend who says they believe in Jesus but makes really poor choices. Think the best. Look for the gold because when we unite and don't divide, God radically changes hearts and this is about a heart issue. So Jesus changes the whole question. It's not who is my neighbour, but Jesus ends it with are you a neighbour? To be a neighbour is to think the best attitude. It's to be that good Samaritan. And then Jesus says, you go and be that neighbour. I'm going to invite the band to, to come back up. But I honestly think think the best is the single greatest culture that will radically change our whole approach. I honestly believe that it starts here because this world needs united, think the best kind of people that have their hearts radically changed for God, having hope for others when there is just division and restoring honour in relationships that are broken because that's what the kingdom of God is all about.